Aren't you glad to know that the God, for all that he is, that he's in our midst and he's moving, may the spirit of God move upon you and us in a powerful way today. You may be seated, those of you guys are still standing. But thank you for being a part of this uh, service. My name is Jonathan Scott, one of the pastors here. And I just want to go ahead very quickly and acknowledge this past week was Veterans Day. And so I want to express my appreciation to the men and women who serve faithfully in our armed forces and have continued to help secure and protect our freedoms. Uh, among those are people like one of my nephews and my brother who served as veterans. But also to, st- to thank the Lord for those who are con- uh, right now, they are currently serving in our military. And we want to express our appreciation for them as well, too, like another one of my, yep, absolutely. Like uh, my nephew and uh, another niece, as well as my son, who are in the military. So thank you for your service. Make sure that we express that appreciation. We are getting ready to wrap up this particular series in Proverbs on cutting through the noise. The idea that God has given to us wisdom that's necessary for us to live life well. And it was written mostly by Solomon, King David's son. And right as Solomon was taking the throne, God said to Solomon, Solomon, what can I do for you? What would you like me to do for you? And Solomon said, give me wisdom to rule. And God said, you could have asked for fame and riches, but you asked for wisdom. I'm going to give you all of that plus the fame and riches and the wisdom as well too. And so Solomon, this very powerful figure with all of this wealth, all of this wisdom, was compelled and inspired to write down these principles of applied knowledge and wisdom to be able to help pass down to his sons. And we are the beneficiaries of how to live life in a way that reflects God's purpose in a way that also can impact our life and the lives of those that are around us. As a matter of fact, in this particular day and age, we understand as we've gone through the series that the beginning of wisdom starts with a proper regard for God, the fear, the reverence and respect for who God is. We've also learned the wisdom of how to manage making really good decisions, how to manage the navigation of the temptations that we all face, as well as how to navigate what's happening in our hearts so that the overflow of it through our mouth can actually be something that's beneficial. Today, we're going to talk about managing finances, managing our money, and right there are probably lost a lot of you. Hang on, however, because consider this, that the wisest man other than Jesus that ever lived, Solomon, was also the richest man. His current portfolio, financial portfolio, some estimate in today's value because of the gifts he received, his inheritance, trading and commerce, the tributes, as well as the the unbelievable taxation he put on his people, that Solomon would be worth anywhere from 800 to a billion, 800 billion to a trillion dollars today. Now you consider this, that he also had 700 wives and 300 concubines that probably put a strain on the family budget. So if there's anybody who understood about how to be able to manage finances, it would be Solomon, those kinds of, that kind of wisdom that we need. As a matter of fact, that's the question. Do we need that kind of ancient wisdom on finances? Do we need that today, these timeless principles? And the answer is absolutely, especially when you take a look at what's happening in our world right now, the instability, the uncertainty. As a matter of fact, one particular economist said this, is that 2020 is now marked as the greatest period of uncertainty and financial volatility our generation has ever faced. You can see it all around you, can't you? Especially the impact of the coronavirus and what's happened financially because of that. How many of you have gotten dressed up, gone to your favorite restaurant, only to discover that there is a sign on the door that says that that restaurant has been shuttered, closed down? Maybe it's consolidated to another location or shut down completely. Businesses have been impacted by that as well, too, and families. Considering that those who've lost their businesses, even though while others are thriving, people are barely surviving, and owners and employees and the families that depend upon that income, many of you may be here right now, and you're dealing with the aftermath of the uncertainty that's impacted your financial security. 
We take a look at what's happening across our country, the fact that America is right now at an all-time high of debt that's been rising for seven years. For instance, student loans, not just for those who are getting out of high school, but across all ages, student loans right now across our country, right around $1 trillion. Credit card debt, $800 billion across our nation in credit card debt. And as a matter of fact, would you be interested to know that the age group of people who hold the highest debt is between the ages of 40 and 70. So then when you add the non-mortgage type of debt that we all face with, America right now is at an all-time high of $4 trillion of non-mortgage debt with individual households holding down about $41,000 worth of debt per household. You think that doesn't create some stress? As a matter of fact, it's still true that financial difficulties rank either the top five or in many cases the top three reasons for marital conflict, dysfunction and disruption that can actually lead to divorce. There seems to be this interesting relationship between the rise of debt and the rise of dysfunction in relationships as people are stressed because of the decisions that they've made. Maybe folks realize that they didn't save as well as they could have so much so that now they're in dire straits dealing with a world that's completely unstable in that way. Or those who've made some really bad decisions. They've bought some things that now they regret and they're trying to get out from under that. Personally, years ago in my previous marriage with my late wife, when we were very young, we decided, uh, even this is before Airbnbs and VRBOs, remember what came before that? Timeshares. <laughs> Timeshares. I'm not sure exactly which kingdom that came from, but we were in this presentation with the decision that we would simply listen to a 75-minute presentation and get our free Disney tickets and go enjoy the Magic Kingdom. But this guy, looking on my application, saw that I was a pastor, and all of a sudden, he is my long-lost Christian brother. We've got all kinds of stories about Jesus and the church, and next thing I know, I walked out, and I have a timeshare which was really good for a few years, but then after a while, it turned out that the maintenance fee on the timeshare costs more than it does to simply have one week at a hotel at a particular amusement park. And so I also, after I got snookered from that one, decided I need to invest money to get out of a timeshare, only to find out that the company that I invested in was more interested in my investment than helping me. So I still got the timeshare. And how to get from, out from under that. Many people are dealing with the aftermath of having made those, those decisions, and they can't get out from it. And as I've already mentioned, because of the economic instability that's taking place, we find ourselves in a situation where we are trying to figure out what we can control and trying to control things that we can't. Listen, the focus is not to try to control what you cannot, but to control what you can. And folks, we can control our money. We must learn about how to be able to manage what we can control so that mismanagement does not control us. Therefore, we need a biblical perspective of wealth. The scripture is very clear that God is the source of all of our wealth, but that with that wealth, he also provides for us the wisdom to know how to manage wealth well. Not like the guy who came to God and tried to see if he can get an advantage on God. You probably heard this old story about the guy that says to God, God, what's a million years like to you? And God says, a million years to me is like a minute. He said, well, God, what's a million dollars like to you? And God says, a million dollars is like a penny. So the guy says, hey, God, can I have a penny? And God says, give me a minute. God is always a step ahead of us and always inviting us into the adventure of learning what life is like, trusting him. And here's the question for each of us. Are we living in the adventure of depending on God rather than ourselves when it comes to our material resources? 
Many of us right now would probably have to admit, nope, I've been doing a whole lot of self-reliance in the issue of how I reserve and manage the finances that God has given to me. Because here's a priority, that we need to learn how to wisely manage what we have so that we can maximize what it can do for us. As I said before, we're in this book of Proverbs, these timeless principles and priorities and practices that we can go ahead and take serious stock of in a way that's being passed down, and we need to pass on to others as well. At every single generation, these principles are necessary, whether you're a retiree or an empty nester or you've got a growing family or you're getting ready to start a family or maybe thinking about getting married or you're a single adult, or you're living with a multiple family income, or even if you're a teenager, these principles are important. I would say this, parents, teach your children as young as they can understand about how to manage their allowance so that they grow with these wise principles of how to manage the wealth that God has given to them. But we're gonna take a look in the book of Proverbs, and so wherever you are, if you are able, in the honor of the word of God that's been inspired by him for us, let me ask you to stand, and we'll take a look at some of these Passages in Proverbs that will undergird this conversation we'll have about wise money management. Starting with chapter 21 of verse Proverbs, it says this, the plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. Verse 20, precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a fool consumes them. Proverbs 27 Know well the condition of your flock and pay attention to your herds. For wealth is not forever. Not even a crown lasts for all time. Proverbs chapter 22. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Proverbs chapter 30. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. And then finally, Proverbs chapter 11. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're gonna take the time to talk about how to manage our debt, how to manage our spending, and how to maximize the joy that God desires for us to live with. But to help me do that is a person who has been extremely well-trusted and effective in managing the finances of Forest Hill Church. And it's an honor to be able to share the stage with him. Would you please welcome our Director of Finance, Pastor Nick Dusenberry. You got a woo-woo. Hey, yeah, sorry, hey, that, woo-hoo, that's a big one. <laughs> that's a big one. All right, I see Nick, you. Nick, thanks for being here with us. Sure. Before we get to the issue of finances, I just mentioned that COVID and what's taking place in our culture has affected businesses, organizations, families, yeah. and churches. Yeah. And Forest Hill Church has also experienced some impact from those. So if you would, just briefly, thumbnail sketch, how is Forest Hill doing? Yeah, so for the next couple hours, I'll try to unpack <laughs> that for us. Um, we we like, yeah, like you mentioned before, um, nationally, we've seen churches and nonprofits have a dip in their giving of about 20 to 30%, and we have not been immune from that. So it's meant we've had to get a little aggressive about trying to make sure we can do ministry within the means that God is providing. So that's been some tough decisions around making sure we size our staff appropriately, getting really creative about how we can create the best environments, again, with the means that God's providing for bridge building, for sharing the gospel. Um, and so that's a good, uh, it's been hard for us, but it's been a good growth for us. Um, but regardless of the numbers being different, our accountability structure stays the same. Uh, we are led by a great staff, a great finance committee and council. Those last two are all consist of volunteers who care and love for God's church. 
Um, we uh, submit ourselves to an independent financial audit every year. We're going through that right now, aren't we? Right now, yeah. it's, this is a ton of fun week right now. So, <laughs> okay. um, and every and we belong to the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. We we seek ways uh, regularly to try to steward what God gives so generously through you all uh, to make sure we we do the best we can with it. And we also try to remember what we try to teach, which is be thankful for what God has provided, not uh, not regretful about what you feel like he hasn't provided or provided yet. We have to take that advice as a church. Too. And Nick, as a church, as we've been practicing for many years, we are still debt-free. That's that right. right. Yep, and that's the plan. Amen yeah, to that. That's that's right. uh, and yeah, a lot of that, amen. A lot of that because of your financial faithfulness. Right. And so we've got stability right now at this point. There's accountability, debt-free. But let me just go ahead and say as one of the pastors here that that's not a time for us to slack off. As a matter of fact, we need and ask for you to give, especially during this end of the year, because we know that some businesses, how the year ends also kind of sets the tone for the upcoming year. So for those of you that do give, thank you. We appreciate very, very much your help for that. But for all of us at Call Forest Hill Home, I encourage even more robust giving, especially towards this end of the year. We could use those financial contributions to help us fund the vision that we believe that God has called us to. But it's not about church finances. This is really about our finances as well, too. And so, Nick, you and I have been talking that there are basically three kinds of money managers. And we can kind of identify which one we are. There are those who are the spenders, those who are the savers, and those who are the servers. Yeah, right? That's right? Unpack that for us. Yeah, so um, just quickly, spenders are folks, and we kind of all prone toward one or the other, um, who find joy in meeting and getting their necessities, their wants, their experiences. Money burns a hole in your pocket and you can't wait to dive in and use it for what's going on around you. Savers enjoy spending what they've got or creating margin so they have money for the future. And then servers are ones who really want to give to what's going on and what God is doing in and around them. Okay, you just used the word margin, which we normally associate with time management. That's right. But we talked about a definition of margin when it comes to finances is this. Margin is a difference between income and not expenses or surplus, but income and necessities. The difference between income and necessities. And of course, usually during times of adversity, we find out what our real necessities or niceties really are. So unpack that margin and the necessities for us. Sure. So to do that, I'll go back to the one of the Proverbs you read, 38 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing in steel, profaning the name of my God. So the writer here is almost painting a picture, if you think about guardrails on a road, of need over here, the, the, our actual real needs. And we remember those from school, right? Food, water, shelter, clothing, Amazon. Those are all the needs we have. Um, kidding about the fifth one. But that's, that's our basic needs. If we fall off the road this way, it means we have to dishonor God by stealing to try to provide our basic needs. And so these are, these are guardrails of dependency. And on the other side is a guardrail. If we go past it, it means we have started to take things into our own hands because we've amassed so much, we've just been tempted to forget about God. So, so are you saying that we kind of need to adopt a vow of poverty and give all money our way to, to the church? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. I'm, I'm done here. That's not what you're saying. No. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so we, have all, we have all this margin, and it's not necessarily bad to spend our margin on some of these things, some margin we've already spent without even realizing it. The kind of house that we're in, the kind of neighborhood we're in, the kind of car we drive, those kinds of things are all decisions we've made about how to spend anything above our needs. But when we redefine our margin to say it's what God has provided over our needs, it reminds us of how much God has already given us, how much we have to be thankful for, mm. 
how much we can see God has come through for us. And our culture is not great about reminding us of those things. So redefining margin like this, I think, gets us down the road toward doing this. What our culture is good about doing is reminding us to be spenders. Yeah. And being a spender, that's not, that's not the bad thing. All three of these things, spending, saving, serving, can coexist or supposed to coexist with us. It's not one and then the other and then the other. I meet with savers who are so excited about saving for the future in every possible scenario that they could ever think of. Pandemics, pianos falling through the roofs from a helicopter, whatever. I've heard lots of stories about things that people are worried about. The problem is they spend so much time saving and it is their good intention to get to serving and being generous as soon as they've saved enough for all the things that could happen. But the reality is there is never an amount of money that's gonna make us feel safe. Millionaires, billionaires all struggle with this. It's, it is a chasing after the wind mm. to use a, a phrase from scripture. There's no amount of money that's gonna make us feel safe. Only God can do that. So we have to be, be wise in how we try to do this, spending, saving, and serving, using the wisdom and, and the trust in God that we have. Let's take a look at the scriptures to figure out then the principles and the, pra the practices of how to be able to manage, first of all, our debt. Proverbs chapter 22, verse seven says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The definition of what it is to be rich is a person whose income well exceeds what is necessary to address their necessities. Where a person who's poor is a person whose income is sufficiently lacking in what is needed to address their necessities, not their niceties. Right. Is that right? That's right. And this is not really an issue of social justice or oppression, although it can get to that place, mm -hmm. but especially as a borrower, that when we borrow, there's a certain sense, Nick, where we're allowing a person or an organization power over us. Is that, is that right? That's right, yes. Yeah. So there's financial cost in that, the interest payments, the monthly payments, all that, but there is that emotional cost we feel when we owe something that we can't pay back, and I see that in people that we meet with. A lot of times we'll call debt um, almost reverse margin. It's money or margin that God had intended for our future that we want to have right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can't wait for it, or we don't, we think God's asleep at the switch, or he's not providing the way he should, and so we, we fall into this debt. It could be small or big ways. So debt actually allows us to pretend to be someone that we're not. You want to so, say that again? Please. Yeah, sure. So de debt allows us to pretend to be someone that we're not, almost like committing identity theft mm -hmm. against ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it is something that we want. We want to be true to who God has made us to be. So we want to get out of this debt as soon as possible. So Proverbs 6 is a great example of this. It's four and five says, don't give sleep to your eyelids or sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids. Escape like a gazelle from a hunter like a bird from a hunter's trap. So the context in the beginning of chapter six is someone who finds themselves indebted to someone else. And this is the encouragement to say, get out of it as soon as you can. And to give context, nowhere in Proverbs nor anywhere in scripture is debt ever listed as a sin. So I wouldn't want anyone to leave today feeling like God is mad with you or with me because we, we've gotten ourselves into debt. But debt is listed as something that's unwise. It's not a good way to go. So let's try to get out of it as soon as possible. And I love the picture here because it is, a graphic depiction of this animal that knows it's in trouble, it's in a place of danger, and is straining with everything it has to get out. And that's almost the same mindset we need to have when it comes to freeing ourselves from these debtors that we, that we owe money to. So it involves, um, first of all, being mindful of what got me in this place in the first place. Mm. What, what principle maybe didn't I believe or who maybe sweet-talked me into a timeshare, <laughs> whatever. Ouch. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there's lots of reasons why we tend to get into debt. One of the biggest ones is our inability to say no sometimes and to wait. But 
have a conversation with God about, God, what, what, where I find myself now, let's unpack how I got there. And then create a plan to attack that. And remember the mindset in Proverbs 6, 4, and 5, that focus um, of trying to free yourself from a trap that you're in. So this should be a, the plan you come up with should be a battle plan. This should not be a Christmas list of wishes. This is something you want to tackle, not something you want to tiptoe through. So you want to get mad at this debt and, the, and what it's costing you on multiple levels. So for instance, the monthly payments, the minimum payments that many of us feel so comfortable paying, that is being dictated to you by the person whom you owe money to. And they would love to have you send them their, your money for the next 40 or 50 years. This is you taking control and saying, uh, you're not gonna have money from me as long as you think you're going to. We're gonna move that timeline up. So start with the debt that's maybe weighing on you the most, maybe a smaller debt so you can be encouraged when you see it get paid off, and then come up with a system to kind of track your progress. Maybe that's marbles in a jar, or when I got in over my head with my first car, I, at my house, I drew a little red fundraising thermometer on the whiteboard with little increments of $100 every time I was closer to paying off this car. And it sounds cheesy, but man, it worked. Every time I left the house, I saw it and I was reminded of, of the goal I was after. And it really affected my, dis, my spending decisions when I left the house because I had that picture in my head and I was out of that debt in no time. There's, so. there's probably an app for that thermometer that we can all turn to. Yes, that's like right. That. I'm sure they've made one Nick, now. you said that debt is not necessarily listed as sin, but it is listed as unwise. Mm -hmm. or, what about mortgages? Is mortgage an unwise thing? Yeah. What's the category for those kinds of things? Great question. So for mortgage debt, a lot of financial planners will put that in a, in a different category. And, and, and I'll stop short of calling mortgage debt good debt. Um, but certainly, if it's a house that you're living within your means, it's one that is worth more than what you owe on it, it would cost more to rent something similar, there's a lot of room for a reasonable house purchase with that. But we have to be careful because getting in over our heads with house debt is, uh, is one of the best ways to put strain on our relationships, our marriages and stuff. That is a, a, a big mistake that we can make. So we have to understand that there's not just this financial cost to the debt we're in or the emotional cost of owing money that we don't have, but I've heard this put really well too. The real cost of debt is actually our freedom. It's our freedom. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's right. So, we, so then we're, you also have a kind of a personal story about how you applied that particular principle yeah. that enabled you and your wife to do something pretty powerful. In yeah, your that's right. We were very grateful. We, we, uh, we, in, in adopting our son, Nathan, the adoption agency we worked with, and many of them do the same thing, they took a really hard look at our finances for two reasons. One, to make sure they weren't placing this child in a place where there was gonna be financial mismanagement, and also they knew that any support we raised for this adoption, they didn't want that to subsidize, let's say, a, a dysfunctional financial mm -hmm. situation with lots of debt. So, um, so we were fortunate, and we've made our share of mistakes too, um, but we were fortunate that we were in a place where we had tried to manage our money the best we could, and, and the debt thing wasn't a problem, but it was just a good reminder that sometimes if we're not careful, this debt can actually be something that keeps us from doing something God has called us to do. So right now at Forest Hill Church, we're actually observing a kind of orphan awareness, mm -hmm. um, the idea that we're calling our, our, our folks to identify if God's calling them to actually invest their life into bringing a new life into their family. But that also comes with a financial responsibility. And so we want to make sure that people are practicing the kind of principles that makes the callings of God possible in their life. So we've talked about managing a debt. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about managing our spending. Yep. Passage in Proverbs chapter 27, know well the condition of your flock, pay attention to your herds, for wealth is not forever, not even a crown lasts for all time. I find it interesting that Solomon, wisest, richest man, actually made the aware, had the awareness that 
both riches and rule are temporary and uncertain. The very fact that he would say that, I guess should cause us to have some alarm bells that goes off and says, there's something in there, there's wisdom in there that we need to pay attention to if the wisest, richest man says that there's an uncertainty to what we have and the power we have as well. That's right, yeah. So the, the flocks and herds we read about, that was the way that the condition of those back in the day was the way that you could tell how you were doing financially. So we need to do the same thing today. And by that, I don't mean get flocks and herds running around in your living room. That would be pretty catastrophic. My kids would love it. They'd yeah. have a ball. Yeah, but, but those are those are some dangerous deposits. That that, mm, good word, good word. You, yeah. you, yeah. Touche. <laughs> um, so... But, uh, but the principle remains the same. We need to, to know what's coming in and going out, and that requires a, a plan. And so uh, I know I'm going to list a couple of tips and plans, and it sounds like a lot of work. There's a great verse in Hebrews 12, 11 that says, uh, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, but it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And I apply that to financial tasks all the time to say, I know this is going to uh, hurt for a little bit, but the righteousness and peace that comes from it, I think, lines up really well with what we're talking about about. So that plan, I'm not going to use the word budget. Many people consider that uh, cursing. So they're going to head out the door if I say the word budget. So we'll stick with the word plan. But the very best thing, really the only way you can come up with a good plan for your money is to first make sure you're tracking your spending. It doesn't have to be forever, just for a month or two or three Taking, uh, taking account of every dollar that you're spending. And so the little spending counts in this as well. I met with a couple, a couple years ago um, who realized they were spending more at Starbucks every month than they were on their monthly rent. Um, and it was just the small, yep, just the small morning and afternoon and morning and afternoon. And they didn't really think anything of it, but it adds up. So make sure you're tracking every dollar for that season of time you're tracking so you can see where it's going. And also make sure you're specific is really makes sense about the categories you're doing. So I met with another couple last year who had an $800 a month Amazon category. And um, it's it's fine. I understand that. It's a lot. But, you know, sometimes we have the means to do that. But the real point is, what's in that $800? Was it clothing? Was it household goods? Um, You know, was it highlighters or... uh, (laughs) frozen peas. I don't know. I'm just all the things it could be. And you don't have to get down to that specific of a category, but, but unpack that. So you really know where your money's going. So once you do that, average those months together that you've tracked. So you have a picture of what a normal month looks like for you. And then don't forget the things that we spend money on annually. So it might be vacations or might be car insurance or Christmas. Um, Figure out what you spend on that in a year, divide it by 12 and add that to the list you just came up with. So now you have a really good picture of what your requirements are each month. And doing that on one sheet of paper also gives us an opportunity to say, look at what God has provided. Mm. I think this is enough. We could live on this for the rest of our lives and be okay. And that way any excess that comes in, you can use to, to save or to serve as well. Some of the happiest people I know who manage their finances have drawn a line in the sand and said, where we are right now, the standard of living is enough. It's a big deal. So, um, so switching over real quick to practical with saving, um, Proverbs 27, 12 says, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So it's very easy for us to save sometimes for our wants, things that we're looking forward to like trips, but don't forget that there are needs out there. So the prudent seeing danger, those are needs that we know are out there that are coming. The next car, a roof on our house, an HVAC system, those things that are very boring to save for, but if we don't, if we aren't prudent, we're just gonna stick our head in the sands and then one day that'll come, it'll come to our attention that we need to replace those things and we have to go into debt to do it. So saving for those things is a great idea. Two quick tips on saving. 
Um, use the margin that you created in your, in your plan, in your spending plan, and then find ways to increase that margin. So spending less or making more income somehow, maybe on a side job or whatever, so that you can increase your margin so you can pay off that debt and save and all that. But also the first thing we should make sure that we have in place is an emergency fund. Um, and, and that means money that we set aside for an unexpected thing that might happen. I'm sure we can't think of any examples of that this year. So uh, doing that and making sure it's not 10 years worth of savings in case something happens for the next 10 years, we need to trust in God more than that and not hoard money. But three to six months of living expenses is usually recommended. If that seems like a daunting amount, start with $500 total or $1,000 total just to have something set aside so you don't have to go further into debt for the next thing that might happen to you. So last thing real quick, Make sure that as you're moving ahead in your road of finances, make sure you have a team around you that's not like necessarily 20 or 25 people, but our biggest financial mistakes almost always happen when we are in isolation. Please say that again. Sure. Biggest. I'll try to say it exactly the same way. I'll try to remember. Our biggest financial mistakes almost always happen when we are in isolation. So we need to have other people we're bouncing our finances off of. If you're married, that looks like the two of you sitting down on a regular basis, um, daily at least, just kidding, um, monthly, hopefully at least, even when things are going good. Don't ignore it just because things are good. So sitting down and doing that together. And also, if you are not married, finding somebody whose wisdom you trust about your finances so that you can meet with them and try to get a good picture together about your finances. You talk to us about the cost of sometimes these financial decisions, but that's both material but also emotional. Yeah. And the aspect that we want to be able to manage our debt, manage our spending, that also can maximize our joy. Mm -hmm. The passage in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28, anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Contrary to what a lot of people may believe, God is not interested in simply for us living as poor as possible. He actually wants us to enjoy his goodness and the good things. And so, Nick, what's the wisdom in managing our debt, managing our spending that can actually maximize our joy? That's right. So it's rare for God to call us into a vow of poverty, but sometimes he does, and that's fine. But what, it, what he's definitely not going to call us to is to go this alone without the wisdom that he provides in his word. So it is, it is that righteous living kind of that you just mm -hmm. talked about in that verse, the picture of that tree that has fruit for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, it's that good mix of spending, saving, and serving. Um, and when we do that well, we find a level of contentment, joy, and thankfulness that, pardon the pun, money can't buy. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, again, the most joyful people I know are folks who have figured out this balance really well. So it is hard to be discontent when you're thankful, when you look around at everything that God's provided to say, God, thank you for this. And not only for me to enjoy it, but how can I use these things to build bridges to others, to share with them something they might need or borrow. Um, and being generous with that also brings us joy because we can see it bringing them joy, but also it connects us with the God who created us to be generous. So I don't wanna steal the thunder from next week's sermon, but I'll just <clears throat> leave it there and say um, that righteous living is figuring out that balance using God's word to do it. Isn't that good? Nick, thank you so very much. No problem. Thank you. You're leaving so quickly. Oh, oh sorry. Well, you know, <laughs> that's okay. I hang out. Okay. All right. And folks, it's one of the reasons why I really wanted to be able to, for you to hear from Nick. This is a person who, with his team, that they're faithful to manage the, the affairs of Forest Hill Church. And so being able to get that word from him is very helpful. Folks, it's really about embracing an, an adventure. The adventure of what it means to live our life trusting in God rather than ourselves. And so one of the things we can do is adopting some of the habits that you just heard, some of the practical tips that you just heard as new habits. For, for some of you, you've heard some of these things, you're like, I never knew that before. Well, pick up some of those habits, those tips, and actually put them into practice in your life. Or for some of you, maybe you've heard that before, but you've kind of laid it off to the side. Let me encourage you to re-engage these old but really good habits and to find some financial stability as well. Number two, acknowledge where there's been a lack of wisdom. 
part of their way of being able to help us to improve where we are is to admit where we are by saying, you know, there have been some decisions I've made that were not wise in spending or in saving, to acknowledge that. Especially if there are people that are accountable with you or you're accountable to, to acknowledge where you've made the mistakes. I would say also make sure you confess that to God. To Go to God and say, Lord, I've not been faithful with what you've given to me. I'm confessing that need. Lord, you are right, and God, I need you to rule to ask God to actually lead you and to surrender yourself to his leadership. But also, don't do that alone. Accept the wisdom, the counsel, the guidance that's available. There's so much out there so that you don't have to go it alone or try to come up with it on your, on your own. As a matter of fact, two books, Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Nick suggests that book as well as another book, God and Money by John Cortinez and Gregory Balmer. Both of these books written from a kingdom biblical perspective that can help us to experience the richness of the wealth that God has given to us. Look. It's about this adventure that starts off with all wisdom as it does in fearing the Lord and acknowledging that his leadership, that God is the top priority and we surrender our lives for his leadership, his lordship, especially in light of the fact that Jesus Christ, his son, he completely liquidated and eliminated the greatest debt that we have before God in our sins. His death on the cross paid for us to be able to live free from the power of sin, but also from the power of material debt so that we can live lives that reflect his purpose. As we place our faith and our trust, he invites us to do that into this adventure of experiencing and living life in fellowship with God. That if you're here today and you've not ever done that, we invite you, we encourage you that today, not just for your financial benefit, but for your eternal spiritual to say, okay, Jesus, I want you to have control of my life and I will follow your lead. Because here's where we want to get to. This is always more than simply just about what we have, but about what we can become. As God transforms us to be faithful and grateful recipients of his grace and conduits of his goodness as we reflect his purpose and his character. And in that way, we will be rich by his goodness. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray about that together. Father, first and foremost, whether we realize it consciously or not, you have been so good. You are so good. And we thank you for every blessing, every good and perfect gift that comes from you. But Lord, we also confess that there are ways that we have squandered the wealth of your goodness. We've got people here right now that they are struggling because of things that were outside of their control. It's impacting the quality of their peace of mind and their stability right now. For all of us, we ask you for your grace. We ask you for your leadership. We ask you to give us the strength to surrender our lives to you and to allow your leadership to readjust how we manage every good gift you've given to us and help us to experience the joy of following you the joy of being the children of a God who richly provides so that our lives can also reflect your goodness to our families, to our homes, but also to the world around us. Even as you're faithful and good to us, that Lord, we can be faithful as well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Folks, let me ask you to stand to your feet and let's sing a song to express our gratitude for the goodness of